Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast from TalkSport. This is Paul Hawksby. And this is Max Rushton. And this is the H&J Daily with some of the best bits of this afternoon's show. Well, uh, we were joined by Gary Thompson, formerly of Coventry and Aston Villa and West Brom, fine player. He's written his autobiography. He was on good form. He was on good form. Good, good, uh, yeah, good story about a hat trick in there. Uh, wasn't yeah, there? we've got Everton Spurs tonight, so we relived uh, an infamous FA Cup meeting, the last FA Cup meeting between Everton and Spurs. Graham Stewart, the former Everton midfielder, joined us uh, to do that. Michael Doyle uh, joined us as well. He was. I mean, outfield players going in goal and goalkeepers going up for corners are yeah. the two best things in the they game. Are. And Michael was the former, yeah. and uh, and he told us what went on when he played for Notts County in goal as an emergency keeper last night. We had a bit of a conversation. Plus, of course, on a more serious uh, subject, we talked concussion subs with uh, the foremost expert in the field, and that's uh, Dr Willie Stewart, the neuropathologist. Uh, here it all is. <laughs> Good afternoon, everyone. Good afternoon, Max. Good afternoon, Paul. And I, uh, I watched the games yesterday. You, you noticed early that our acca went uh, yeah. south. After... You, you decided that Salford were going to be put to the sword yeah. at home by your club, um, um, Cambridge United. Yes. And it didn't quite work out. You got a bit of a showing, didn't so you? We were three 0 down at half time, which is always an issue, <laughs> yeah. isn't it? And I was waiting for the comeback of all comebacks, you know, so I could lay in to Gary Neville in the mm. hope of, you know, a Twitter chat that might get me twenty more followers. Yeah. But as it turned out, they waltzed away with it for yeah. It was a disappointing. I had that on the eye follow, and I had. Uh, you didn't the... see it coming. You were very confident. You felt you were gonna you're gonna do them, didn't you? Yeah. And I mean, I I mean that that'll learn me. I should have known. It's you a know, bit like it's for... a bit like Palace without Wilf, though, isn't it? You without um, us without Wes. Wes. Yeah, and we Wessie. tried to play a bit like that, and mm. you need—he's such a wonderful player. Mm. Yes, it was a disappointing time, but I, you know, if I've learned nothing in—I don't know—thirty-six years of supporting Cambridge United, having expectations is a very dangerous thing, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, and then true. I watched the Manchester United West Ham game, which was an absolute shower. Let's it was, be honest. Yeah, it was terrible. Yeah. I felt so sorry for everyone there that it went for extra time. I mean, not just Lineker, Wright, and Shearer. Yeah. You know, there's the cameramen. You know, there's the production staff. Mrs. Brown's boys, Mister Repeat. Yeah. Fee. There's the players as well. <laughs> yeah. Right. The players. There's us. They should have got rid of extra time in the FA Cup yeah. this season anyway. I think. And, and I remember when I did local radio, people will probably remember this, Paul, Radio mm. Cambridge's soccer specials on a Tuesday night that oh, yeah. I used to do it back in around 2004. 
And what was the theme music? Can you remember? Oh, Did it have good. iconic theme music? I think we used we used I think we used like a Franz Ferdinand loop. I think really something like that. But uh, so but, it's constantly for about twenty minutes, over and over twenty oh, that minutes. Sounds great. Yeah, it's a really good one. And um, but when it went to extra time, um, we stayed on obviously. Mm-hmm. And uh, but George the Cleaner hoovered the studio at ten p.m. on the dot. Yeah. So if the game had sort of run late and gone into extra time. Sometimes, you know, they'd throw back to you in the studio at the end of extra time and the Hoover would be on because George right. George was like, I'm not this is where it this is when I'm hoovering. I'm not letting this get in the way. <laughs> God, like, we should have that here, really, shouldn't we? This is just at some point during yeah. some show. They should just hoover it, shouldn't they? Man, you- talking of cleaners, mm. uh, years and years ago when Club Nacaxa, the Mexican side, found themselves in the World Club Championship. Yes, I remember it. Um yeah, well they must be in the early two thousands. The the cleaner wanted to get in and do and he he would come in the ad breaks and, and give a good old hoover up. The things have changed since then in this building. <laughs> that was in the old place. Um, but you- well, the game was on. The game was on. Oh. That that's time nice. and um, our rudimentary Spanish, we worked out that was his team. <laughs> oh, I see. So that was the, that was his club. So he, well, you know, what's the chance of finding your Nacaxa? He was a Mexican fellow, <laughs> and that was his club. My first ever job was as a cleaner. Was um, it? I can't uh, really. Yeah. I can't. <laughs> How dare you? I can't really. I can't. I, don't, see I wasn't you. the best. I can't see you and as I a cleaner. Clean. It was sort of a parent's friend's house. She was like, I need a cleaner. I was like, I can. You know, I was top. You know, fourteen. Something thirty four. You're a, a man. Job. You're a man who does. You exactly. go in and do. Exactly. What you go in and do? I used for to clean you? from five thirty to seven thirty in the morning. No, in the evening. One evening a week, and I would clean the kitchen a lot because I had the telly and I'd watch Neighbours, Home and Away, and then Anglia News to get the Cambridge oh. goals, oh. and then I'd quickly blitz around the rest. I wasn't kept on for long. Mm. I was replaced by a cleaner, which was a. Of it, you know, quite a sensible decision. I don't know what's less likely, you as a cleaner or Andy Jacobs as an accountant. <laughs> One thing, you could never get Andy to be as a cabbie. I could never get He's the world's worst driver. On him, Mr Magoo has got nothing on him. And I don't think he's got any better since he nearly killed me and Frank Skinner, but that's another story. But anyway, we, we bring up drivers we because the, Harry Redknapp was thinking of a change of career. I mean, he's in the papers every day. You know, yeah. There's a sort of set of people, <laughs> as Andy's probably says. He's Harry's like in Rita the papers. Aura, isn't Rita he, Rita Aura's in he's, the papers. He's in every day. Uh, Ryland is in the papers every day. Yeah. It's that and things that are auctioned off, right? It's yeah. the, they're the two things in the papers. Like you'll never believe that, you know, I don't know, you know, an old kumquat from, you know, Mesopotamia sold yeah. for 25 grand. Yeah, that's a staple that's of a, the tabloids. Exactly of course it is, right. Yeah. And, uh, but yes, Harry Redknapp has revealed how he almost jacked in football to become a cabbie. Yeah. Uh, the 73-year-old has managed seven English clubs and clocked up nearly 1,400 games from 1993 to 2017. But he said, look, it wasn't always easy. I had no money. I'd come to the end of my playing time. I was going to buy a Bournemouth taxi. But we didn't have the money. It was like 14 or 15 grand. Wow. Uh, he could probably get one now, I guess. But you know, He'd he, be a good cabbie, Harry, wouldn't he? You'd, nev- you'd never want for conversation, would you'd you? Be a you'd great, just be yes, one of those... Be a really good cabbie. Be one of those ones where... You're in the cab and you're thinking, look, I'm going to let him, him or her, it's their opening gambit. I'm going to let them talk to me first. You wouldn't say, busy today? That's the one, isn't it? (laughs) Finish work, finish work for the day, depending on the time of day. Absolutely. That gets you into it. And then they know whether you're up for a chat or whether you're not. Mm. Um, But we bring this up because I would imagine there's a number of uh, taxis, probably less than usual because they're a bit quiet out there at the moment. But I have faith in the taxi. This is a very, it is purely for taxi drivers. But those boys still going out there, I mean, you wanted to build a team of, 
of, of taxi drivers. I can think of, I know, obviously, two or three off the top of my head, people who've done the knowledge are act, active taxi drivers. Mm-hmm. We'll probably get lots and lots of them. We want to build a 1 to 11, though. We want to keep a proper back four. So we'd like to know where you played and to what level. I mean, I have. I think everyone's been in the taxi where the taxi, if you've, if you've started the Busy yeah. Tonight conversation, they have taken it on and it eventually gets to, oh, yeah, I could have, I had trials at Palace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what, what we want to do is the best best 11 mm. of taxi drivers currently listening just I've not put out on Twitter because people can yeah. lie on Twitter but I trust I trust the texting audience Got 889 you. are you a taxi driver yeah are we accepting Uber drive are we bringing them together in the well, world I mean, of football the, the, the people that have done the knowledge may kick off but we are we're going to be a broad church we are going to be today. a broad church Uber, if mini you're in a mini cab you're licensed exactly. mini, whatever you are the highest level you played we may now be boycotted <laughs> by all the black cab drivers because we've included them but look just get, just we want to be as broad a church as we can yeah, absolutely. absolutely and uh, yeah the, the highest level you've played yep. uh, position you play mm. and we'll see over the three hours the, the level of team yeah, we, we can play to Mickey Hazard of well, course well Mickey yeah. did the night uh, John Sitton of course he's a, he's a black cab driving Sonny Pike is who was mm-hmm. an Ajax member I think so he's got a bike uh, a, he hasn't got a bike coming out well he might have he's got a book <laughs> yes. coming out the Sonny Pike bike and, I would uh, buy it <laughs> and, he, and he'll be chatting to us about that I think in a couple of months time <laughs> but anyway um, if if you are uh, out there and, and you could have been a contender let us know and we'll build a team and, and Harry would be the manager yeah Absolutely. And, yeah. and obviously right now, we just need 11. So you might be yeah. rubbish, but it's worth getting your text in order to get in the squad early. We yeah. may drop you later, you but could that's do. how it works. If a better player comes along, mm. just be prepared for the disappointment. The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast from TalkSport. Yeah, Paul Hawksby and Max Rushton. Max is in for Andy. Andy will be back 3.30 tomorrow uh, for a birthday spread. Oh, yes. Great Max looking for his first win in the birthday spread. Jeff Peters, official scorer, uh, will be joining us later, actually. There's so much look pressure ahead. on me, isn't there? Yeah, there is. Well, only the pressure you put on yourself okay. for what is although, essentially although just a bit of fun. I was taking it too seriously last, uh, last week. I didn't yeah. laugh at a joke, a tequila-based, a mezcal-based joke from Andy Jacobs. He, <laughs> he rightly admonished me on, on air. He didn't wait for the show to finish. Uh, no, he, he, he told in, me in, there and Andy's never, he's not, uh, that, he's no. not that kind of lad. The, uh, last week we, we were chatting to Ben Foster, was it last week, the week before? I think we did finally put to him the idea, of, have you ever been locked in the dressing room by the manager? Keith Curl wasn't happy with uh, his Northampton players last night. Um, they lost to Wigan and they were in the dressing for more than an hour oh wow I mean and that is not... some orator Keith isn't he an was hour that, was that, where was that uh, I don't know if it was at their place it was a home defeat so it was at their place yeah still cold though yeah, I, mean, cold. Yes. I, mean, I don't know what their dressing room's like somebody said Look, in my after mind, 45 thinking... minutes the players must be thinking I mean an hour I mean, how much was that was just silence to let them stew how much was it was like must have been like a Samuel Beckett place <laughs> one with Billy Whitelaw it was just constantly going the mouth going all the time Keith telling him what he thought. I suppose in my mind I had like the dressing room at Actonians away. Yeah. And it's probably warmer than that, isn't it? They've probably got a thermostat. (laughs) (laughs) Probably, haven't they? It's not just some benches. You're you're not going to be that player. Even the kit man where Keith's going the full gun is going to turn over and turn the rad up to four you, from do you, three. Do you think there was an interval? Do you think, <laughs> do you, think, do you, think you could order your drinks and when Keith said, you yeah. know, Keith just went, and that's enough from you! And then the lights went down and yeah. there was a smattering of applause yeah. and they all went, oh, I can go out and I've ordered a white wine so I just got my receipt, it'll be under the receipt <laughs> yeah. and then there we go, then I'll come back out for the second half. Well, what were you doing at that corner? Anyway, we'll come back to this in a moment and then they all kind of queued up and had, uh, had an ice cream. What do you want, Cleo? <laughs> they got butterscotch. You had, uh, the chocolate, chocolate run out. Chocolate's run out, they got butterscotch. <laughs> 
But anyway, I'm sure um, Keith, got, he won't be seeing the funny side of that. No, we've today, got a big, big problem much. here. Um, Lee Francis has been in touch. Lee Francis, who played 68 times for Chesterfield. Okay. He was at Arsenal as a youth team player. Actually played Not, uh, in Chesterfield's 1-0 okay. defeat to Cambridge United in the first ever playoff final at Wembley. That yeah. was there for when Dion scored. But he's also a right back. So it turns out yeah. that most taxi drivers who've become, fo- footballers who become taxi drivers are right back. It's almost feel we need to drop Josh Brigham, the Chippenham Town right back, for well, someone who played 68 times in the Football League. We need a squad, don't we, really? We do need a squad. We've got, like, got one here. He's not, oh, yeah, goal, we've got a goalie. Okay. That's Daz. Daz, okay. um, he drives a cab these days. Played in, uh, played in golf for Wigan, was in the reserves with Leighton Baines. Okay. So, okay, okay. I think Daz, Daz, Daz we find... Do you have any details on type of cab or where he is or anything? Uh, no, not really. Okay, he's just he's a cab driver in Wigan. Right, so, okay. um, he's in. Uh, what else have we got? For Gary. Uh, Gary Rolfe, my cousin, says Steve in Norwich. Uh, London cab driver, first team Brentford. I think it was oh, Brentford's youngest player to score at we, Wembley. Have we got his pos- position? Centre forward. Oh, so that's forward, good. Yeah, okay. yeah, what was yeah. his name again, please? Sir? I'm writing um, this. Gary I'm ri- Rolfe. I'm really right. I'm writing it down. I know you are. You're putting this eleven together. This is because, in case you're just joining us, Harry Redknapp said there was a period in his life when he considered buying a cab, being a Bournemouth cab driver. Um, it wasn't kind of working out, and obviously things turned. He's king of the jungle now, for goodness' sake. He's had a stellar career in management, but there was a period. What I like about Lee Francis' this tweet it was it, it just said, "Add me to your cab driver 11. He didn't give any background. It was yeah. just like he's he's played at that level because well, he's played professional football. That, that kind of swagger of the Absolutely pro, isn't it? Right. Of the yeah. former pro. Make him skip. How do we feel about people recommending other towns? Barca Jim, friend of the show, says, shout out for my mate David Farrell, ex-Hibs. Mm. Uh, Davey is a Glasgow taxi driver, can play at the back or holding midfield. Make we'll a great some captain, these, he's an incredible these, moaner. We'll see some of these... Incredible moaner. <laughs> some of these boys. Football's great moaners. That would be a really good... A, a, a great... 50, the 50 top moaners in football. I mean, we'll do it tomorrow if you want. We'll save it for the weekend. I yeah, save, we could save it the week. Oh. Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank was a great moaner, wasn't he? I mean, I, I, I just every time I'd see him... The, the ball was not played. Ex- I t- Romario was another okay. great moan. I remember this. Look, I went and saw Barcelona play, and uh, I think it might have even been Baguristain played a ball into space mm-hmm. to Romario, and it's like a ball into space for me. And it was just and he, the look of disgust. You know, even though I was miles away in the new, the look of disgust he gave him was like giving him a feet, mate. I can control it. I'm Romario. Was Romario's disgust more than? An elderly wicketkeeper in village cricket who refuses to go down the leg. So, like anything down yeah. the leg side, they just look at it. It's like that's not. <laughs> it was, it's not my area. It was that look. It was wow. that. It was that is kind it, of is look. it apocryphal that um, Romario had in one of his contracts? I think at a club in Brazil. We can ask Tim Vickery, maybe yeah. that he didn't have to go into his own half. I've definitely heard Should this. We ask him written that? into his contract, I do not have to be in my own half. <laughs> you know, not coming back for corner. Of course, you wouldn't have Romario back for corners anyway. But the idea yeah. that he, idea that if a ball was played short, yeah. he might have to like creep past the centre circle. Well, he'd often go. Remember, he'd often go back to Brazil and um, say, "Well, I, I'm sorry, I'm going to be a late back, you know, because there's a complication at home, or I've, I've got a visa." Or a, and ba- there'd be a picture of him on Copacabana Beach, sort of playing the drums and having a party. <laughs> <laughs> the Barcelona manager would have to put up with it. Anyway, we get on to Romario. Yeah, speaking of Brazilians who had parties, Neymar it was Neymar's birthday oh, yeah. recently. I don't know if you covered this with Andy Brassel, but apparently, you know, it's not allowed a party. Although I know no, he had, I know he had one in Brazil. Didn't he? It was sort of a six-day one with blanked out. You know, they put screens up in the mm. windows and things. Apparently, his friend or his agent delivered him a life-size Batman as a birthday present, wow. as a way of saying, you can't have a party, but here is here is a life-size Batman. 
Right. Where do you put the life-size... Where have in a, the house? He'll have a room, wouldn't he, like Stephen Gerrard and the others, with, with the bus, the revolving bus with all the shirts they've worn. Okay. Sort of, and the ones yeah. they've swapped and the ones they've worn for big games yeah. where they're actually the proper sort of... I can sort of understand that. Yeah. But, I'd, but, but I mean, would you, you, go? you st- you'd stick him in that room, wouldn't you? I mean, um, I suppose you wouldn't have him in the downstairs. Lo- I imagine Neymar's in the downstairs. Do you think he has like a, a rumpus room like Elvis? <laughs> Maybe. He probably <laughs> does, doesn't he? Well, Games room. Really? I mean, you'd have Alfred who would hold the loo roll. What are those things that used to hold loo roll back in the day? Oh, oh yeah. A, a loo roll holder. Loo roll holder, holder. yeah, that's what <laughs> they were called. They still, still yeah, happen. Yeah. They yeah. still exist, mate. You know, I was just trying to bring it back to your era, Paul. But yeah. you'd have Alfred <laughs> with the loo roll. I don't know what Batman's job in the bathroom is, though. I haven't thought it through. I don't want to dwell on that for too long. <laughs> anyway, um, the other thing I want to ask you about this yes. afternoon is um, we're going to have a chat with Jeff Peters later on. Uh, Leicester, of course, in action in the FA Cup tonight. And uh, they want to give uh, Jamie Vardy a bit of game time, but Brendan's saying, obviously, they're going to have to manage it, partly because it's minus seven uh, at the stadium tonight, which is a bit chilly. Although I read today there's a game going on in Russia uh, tonight, but it's minus 23. So um, it's, 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 a, it's a cold one. Yeah. And uh, we just wondered if you've ever turned out on a Sunday morning, Saturday afternoon and stuck on some extra layers. You were telling us you were once refereed by someone who... Ref, the ref was caught out by just how cold it was and, and didn't put... A, a, it wasn't an inner layer. She wore a leather jacket. Yeah. <laughs> she was quite but a good ref, the, actually. The she was a good ref. At least it was black, I suppose. She was a good ref, but it was very strange being ref by someone <laughs> in a leather jacket. <laughs> you know, like, what it wasn't cold. Didn't make her look it hard. No, you didn't no, want to really. mess with it. It was just a bit... It was like, maybe you've forgotten to take that leather jacket off. That's yeah. a strange decision. David Shepard has been in touch. Uh, he worked for the Financial Times. Uh, oh, right. Oil expert. Just oh, so okay. you know. uh-huh. Played in minus 20 Celsius in New York City once. Running tights, sports socks, football socks, shorts, over tights, thermal t-shirt, team top, sweatshirt, beanie, gloves. Sweatshirt and beanie got periodically ditched as the net effect was they, they got sweaty. Then they then froze the second, second you stopped <laughs> running. But he said it was a co-ed game. One of the girls on the opposing side wore a near full floor-length North Face puffer jacket, leading to a memorable shout of, stop that bleeping sleeping bag after she skinned Ed <laughs> on the wing. <laughs> so some of the unusual layers that you stuck on, ideally over the top mm. of the, I mean, you can't get... But imagine a leather jacket under a referee's. <laughs> that would have been it? difficult, wouldn't it? You're a bit bulked up. It's so, the most number of layers. Sort of yeah, totally some, inappropriately dressed. Yeah, let's have some of those uh, when the cold was the issue, as well as continuing to build the cab driver's 11. The Hawksby and Jacobs daily podcast from TalkSport. Well, Hawksby match Rushton here on TalkSport. Uh, fans of I can't go through all nine of them let's just uh, highlight a few uh, West Brom Sheffield Wednesday Aston Villa and Coventry City will certainly know the name uh, Gary Thompson fine striker for all of those clubs we said nine uh, top clubs he played for before going into management and uh, latterly uh, radio co-host doing live games his autobiography is out uh, it's called uh, Don't Believe a Word and he joins us now good afternoon Gary Afternoon, chaps. How you doing? Yeah, good, we're good. Yeah, yeah. So, I'd say nine clubs in all, including your beloved Villa, who you support. So, uh, yep. was there? What was the best period for you? What was the standout period you think in your career when you look back, where you played your best football and had the best time? The best football was obviously, uh, I imagine, West Brom because I scored an awful lot of goals there mm. uh, in a very short space of time. Obviously, the Comedy, the Comedy Group, we were the team of the. Act- we beat the team of the 80s, then we became the team of the 80s. Yeah. And obviously, they get a chance to play from Aston Villa, which is what I always wanted. Although, by the time I finally got there, we got relegated. So, I took an almighty amount of abuse. But uh, after that, we got promotion, which basically was single-handed, and um, got back into what is now the Premier League. Uh, why did you want to write uh, write the book, Gary? 
I didn't. Um, Bill Howell, I've known for years, kept saying, I kept telling him different stories, and he kept saying, oh, you should write a book, you should write a book. But there was no urgency for me to write a book. And then um, in the end, him and Stuart Curtis got hold of me one day and said, uh, what you should do, big man? This is two years ago. And I, a weak moment, I went, yeah, okay. And then uh, I met him probably every month or every six, every six weeks. And we sat in a bar and basically I talked about myself, drinking copious, <laughs> copious amounts of alcohol. So, uh, yeah, what's that to like? But on a serious note as well, I've heard you say that I read a little uh, interview with you saying that it was you lost both your parents in in quick succession, which really knocked you for six. And obviously, yeah. and uh, and and Cyril Regis, uh, your teammate uh, at West Brom, uh, someone you were very close to, and maybe that sort of focused the mind about maybe getting your story down at that time. Yeah, I think me, me lad had been saying the same thing as well. You should put it all down, and obviously. Losing my first wife and then um, my mom or my dad, my mom, Cyril Luke in a short space of time. And also the teacher that really gave me my start in football, gave me the chance. He, he took me to one side and basically said, you can continue this down this road and uh, waste your life or you can make something of yourself. He gave me the opportunity, Mr. Williams. So with all them, with all them passing in the same sort of time, it did, as you say, focus my mind. And I thought, yeah, I will like it all down and actually now now it's down I'm actually quite proud of it yeah um you talk about Cyril Regis you know and, and what an influence he was on you you say he was like the the sort of Cab- Cadbury's caramel rabbit you know a slow down chill out you know he's he he <laughs> yeah. calmed you down yeah I mean like anyone that saw me play obviously you chaps are too young to remember but if you get watch videos and that sadly I'm not Gary I was, I I was very... Max might be but I'm not I saw you but I probably put Spurs <laughs> to the sword a few times yeah, I was bothering you up a little bit there. But uh, yeah, I was uh, the aggressive, powerful one. Cyril, obviously very powerful, but he was so relaxed all the time, so laid back. So when I'm losing my head, which was quite often, he'd be like, big man, calm down, chill out, what's about you? And all the time he was like that older brother, that calming influence on me. And uh, I missed him. When I left the club, I missed him terribly. I saw, I, I seen him, saw him an awful lot, but uh, his influence on me stood me in good stead for the rest of my career. He, he was a brilliant fella. Oh, oh, so you you admit you you look to him and uh, and Brendan Batson and Laurie and others as as uh, yeah. pioneers, and you played in the era where there was a lot of racist abuse aimed at players. And uh, I mean, you you talk about that in the book as well. Yeah, I mean, when we started, uh, you get racist abuse within your own team. You get from your own fans at times. You every time you went away, especially up north or down to West Ham and places, we would take serious abuse. Um, but over the years, the likes of Cyril, Brendan, and Laurie came through. And I'm, I'm about two years younger than them. So I was sort of on that cusp as well. But uh, yeah, they were the first, they were the pioneers. Obviously, I mentioned Albert Johansson in the book because he played for Leeds United. Yeah. He played in the, the, the FA Cup final. And that was the first one I looked up to. Obviously, uh, uh, Clyde Best and players like that. But then Cyril and Laurie, they're just down the road. They're playing, they're tearing it up. And all of a sudden, I, it, gives, it told me I could be them. I could have a chance of doing that. And uh, got to know them as well. And like, Absolutely fantastic fellas, like no chip on the shoulder, absolutely magnificent geezers who would give you the time of day at all times. Oh, there's so many great stories in the book. I won't ask you to tell them all, but there's one that might be nice if you can tell, which is when you scored a hat-trick for West Brom against Forest, and uh, suddenly <laughs> with a match ball under your arm, you were confronted by Brian Clough. Tell us what happened. Yeah, well, I mean, this is during the period where I've scored an awful lot of goals for, for West Brom. We played Nottingham Forest, and my nemesis was a guy called Paul Hart and we had some serious battles me and Big Artie and I got to know him at Sheffield Wednesday when I went there the next the following year and we became best mates but uh, playing against Hartie had one of my better days we beat them 4-1 I think it was Steve McKenzie scored the other goal so I go full time I go to the referee to get the, the ball and uh, the ball's gone and he says the ball's gone I said what do you mean the ball's gone the ball's gone so a few choice words ending in weasel uh, <laughs> I went back to the dressing room 
I get in the dressing room, I'm sitting there, and uh, Giles is doing his, his debrief. Basically, he's, he's praising everybody re- apart from himself about the game and that. <laughs> and uh, the door bursts open, and in comes Brian Clough. He's carrying the ball. I didn't know at the time, but he's got all his players to sign it. He signed it. He wrote Be Good on it. And he, he just came to me. And Johnny Giles, as you know, Johnny's um, a strong manager and a strong fella. And he, he never said a word. Cloughy just bowled in. Where is he? Came up to me, gave me the ball. He said, uh, not many people score a trick against me, son. Well done. He said, um, make sure your teammates sign it. So obviously, I got all my lads to sign it. John never said anything. Cloughy went out. He said, well done and all that. So uh, he's gone out. And then... Um, the chairman of West Bromwich Albion made a plinth, or got a plinth done for me with the hat trick on and all that, which I put the ball on. So I gave it to my mum and dad because I don't have memorabilia. I don't really carry it. Mm. And 18 months later, I turn up at my mum and dad's for Sunday dinner and my nephew and my son are booting it around in the garden. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah. It's so interesting, Gary, when you think about the difference between like football now and football then, you know, talk about Cyril Reid sort of teaching you not just how to calm down, but how to drink as well. And you think of that sort of culture <clears throat> oh. of football back in the 80s. And I always wonder, yeah. you know, would you, like, would you swap it? Do you know, would you swap, obviously you'd, you'd have bucket loads more money, but you wouldn't be able to go to the pub because, you'd, you know, everything you did would be filmed. That's, that's the worrying thing. The things we got up to, um, the, ex- the experiences we had, the joy we had, you, you, couldn't, you couldn't have that nowadays. I mean, the only thing most players who played in that era now would be new knees and the fact that we could have loads of money. Uh, the rest of it, um, I'd, I'd rather play in them days because I, I made some great friends I made for life, um, played some good, good, good footballers, been around the world. I've had a great time with it. I mean, the only thing I would change, as you say, is maybe sort my knees out and get some more cash. <laughs> you worked with some players kind of uh, when they were, their fledgling parts of their careers. Wrighty at Palace, who was banging in the goals. Yep. You went, you worked with Wrighty. You worked with Les at, at uh, Les Ferdinand at, um, at QPR as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was a lovely little bit about Gareth Southgate. He said there was a young lad coming through from the reserves when you were at Palace. Sort of quiet lad, well-spoken, um, quite thoughtful, and uh, like called Gareth yeah. Southgate. Whatever happened to him? <laughs> well, exactly. I mean, uh, we, we looked at him. We say he'll never make a player. Like he'll never amount to anything. But uh, Gareth was the really quiet one. If you look at our dressing room at the time, you had the likes of Pardew, that was there, Jeff Thomas, Ian Wright, Andy Gray, Mark Bright, John Salako, uh, Richard Shaw, Chris Coleman, uh, Andy Thorne. We had a, a, a Nigel Martin. We had a squad of players, and it was a loud, loud dressing room. And so Gareth Southgate or Nord, as we call him, like because um, he looks like great Graham Norden, he was the one that. Uh, was, was quite quiet. If he said something, it yeah, made a bit of sense at the time. And his best mate was Andy Woodman. Mm. And um, they, they've gone through the years together. Like, But uh, Gareth ended up, I think he started as a midfield player. And I think there was a time when they weren't too sure whether he was going to make it. And Alan Smith, who was their ma- uh, assistant manager at the time, but Alan Smith was the one that sort of half helped him through and, and ended, ended up having a career. But we used to tease Smithy because they both spoke very well. And we just thought he was an old pals acting. He was looking after a friend of a friend's friend. <laughs> so that's why we thought Gareth got his chance. But to be fair, he did develop into a very good player. Absolutely. He's done all right. Lovely text yeah. from Martin here, Ghost. And I heard you got Gary Thompson on the show. I was one of his apprentices at QPR when he was coming to the end of his career. I can honestly say he was the most humble, down-to-earth guy I've ever met, especially in the football world. Not heard anything about him since we both left the club around 93. Great to hear he's still busy. Lovely bloke. So there was a uh, testimonial from Martin. That's nice. Yeah. yeah. That's nice. That's, that's what that's it's all about, really. Not, you know, uh, people yeah. that knew you and play with you, they're the sort of testimonials you want. Finally, going back to Gareth, um, you weren't p- particularly impressed with the way he was handling Jack Grealish. You were going to have a quiet word with him, were you? <laughs> <laughs> there, there was a little moment where I, I did a bit with Bill, and I was, obviously I was drinking copious amounts of alcohol at the time, 
and I've ripped into Gareth at the time. This is an absolute disgrace. And Bill's wrote it all down. And later on, he came back in. Wow, that's going to be brilliant. And then the week later, to Gareth picked him. Yeah. So like Jack was back in the squad. <laughs> then all of a sudden, like then he started playing, and it always seemed as if he was a bit reluctant to give Jack, Jack his opportunity. But now he's in there. I think that Jack Grealish will develop and move on. And he's a very, very good player. As a Villa fan and a Villa doing the uh, commentary, I see Jack Grealish a lot. I've seen his development. Other people are watching it now and seeing what a good player he is. They keep going about throwing himself to the ground. But this kid is a very, very good footballer. Absolutely. Gary, it's, uh, book's great fun. We wish you well with it. Thanks very much for joining us. All nice the best. One. Take Thanks care. Thanks very much. Gary Thompson's autobiography, Don't Believe a Word, is available now. Curtis Sport are the publishers. You'll find it on Amazon and elsewhere. And, uh, yeah, lovely guy. And, uh, it's, it's, it's a really interesting read. He played for so many clubs over so, such a long period of time. There'll be so many people in there that uh, you know and watch play, including Gary himself, of course. The Hawksby and Jacobs daily podcast from Talk Sport. Thanks for getting in touch this afternoon. Uh, we've got an uh, email coming from uh, James. He said, I misplaced my goalie gloves when I was playing for a five-a-side team. Got chains into my kit before leaving home and couldn't find the gloves. Had to use my wife's gardening gloves as replacements. Uh, a few eyebrows were raised as uh, t- I took my place between the sticks. Found said gloves in my cat's bed the next morning. My then wife said she had nothing to do with it and blame the cat. I still don't know to this day who was. Were they, they did they call you the cat? Maybe that was it. Um, I mean, those very early goalkeeping gloves. We talked to Bob Wilson about this before. They did look like uh, these sort of little bits of table tennis bat on the back. That was high tech in those days. That's woolen. I mean, playing in woolen gloves, is woolen tricky, heavy isn't it? gloves. But, yeah, I mean, they yeah. did play with no. I mean, younger listeners won't know this, Paul. Yeah. They played with no gloves. That's mad, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, they played with no gloves. And heavier and, balls. And in Bob's case, he used to lead with his head, didn't he? Bob used to dive <laughs> at he? people. Head, have you ever seen... Yeah, that was, it was his trademark move. He, he basically... He was so brave. He'd dive... He, Troutman was one of his heroes, you see. And he'd dive at people's feet, uh, sort of head first. Alan Supermarché says... Uh, slightly unrelated. <laughs> Alan Supermarché. <laughs> he says, slightly unrelated, but my Ribena froze at England-Cameroon at Wembley in 1991. I was at that game. Oh, it, oh, it was bitter. <laughs> and, and, in fact, I seem to remember that um, Roger Miller came out of warm-up in a duffel coat. <laughs> he Stop did. it. No, he did. He warmed <laughs> like, up in like a duffel Paddington. coat. And then no, I think refused to play because the Cameroon FA wouldn't give him enough money. So it was a very what, o- weird before night. kickoff. I don't know the way they agree subs before <laughs> kickoff, don't they? I, 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 it's it a bit sketchy. Tenor. It was very cut. It was the night I met uh, the great Bobby Moore in the loo, but oh. that's another story. Should we move on? Yeah, so that's why not. We'll why come not? back to that because, on a more serious uh, note, uh, Issa Diop became the first concussion substitute in English football, was uh, clash of heads towards the end of the first half, uh, was actually substituted at half time. Now, you would think uh, people uh, with skin in this particular game would be applauding this, but as we discovered when we had a chat with Sam Peters last week, there is a real feeling that the, the rule makers in football have got this uh, badly wrong. Among them is that the neuropathologist, someone whose name you would have heard uh, in connection with the work that's been done, the research on the link between dementia and uh, heading of the ball and, and uh, sports uh, head injury. Uh, Dr Willie Stewart joins us. Good afternoon, Dr Stewart. Good afternoon. Yeah, I mean, the feeling is that they have got this wrong life. I find it hard to believe that people like yourself weren't consulted. Uh, maybe you were. Were you consulted in this process or not? No, no. Um, I've had, uh, had made great play that they consulted uh, an expert concussion group. 
to inform uh, the decision they made. But actually, looking through that expert concussion group, there are, there are virtually no experts in concussion. There, there may be experts in football and football management, but there's very few experts in, in concussion. One, in fact, um, it seems pretty obvious. Um, Willie about this but just explain why last night proves that as you say the IFAB trial is not fit for purpose so the, 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 I mean, the, the, the IFAB trial would suggest that something, something new is on offer uh, in terms of the management of concussion up until now in football the management of concussion has always been if you suspect a player has had a concussion they must be immediately removed from the field uh, and a substitute put on What's happened is that uh, the, the IFAB has introduced exactly the same thing. If you suspect a player is, has sustained a concussion, they must be removed from field and a substitute push, put on. But all they've done is added one more substitute to the bench. So, in fact, what they've done is not given the doctors any more time to assess the player, not given the player any more time to express their problems with symptoms, not given them any more time to review the video evidence. They've just left exactly the same assessment, exactly the same issues that were there before, and put one more substitute on the bench. The only way that would be an advance is if football in some way had evidence that uh, players were deliberately being left on the park because uh, there weren't substitutes to replace them tactically. So so if, if football has evidence that doctors currently are leaving players on the pitch with brain injury because tactically there isn't a, a substitute available on the bench, then that's a very serious problem. But I don't think that is the problem. You and others would like to see temporary concussion substitutes so the, the doctor can get on with his work and somebody can come on for 10 minutes initially while that's going on and then they, they if they're, they've proved to be okay, they can go back on, but that gives the doctor time to, to make their assessment. Why have they not gone down this route? Has anybody explained to you from IFAB why they don't think that is a workable solution? No idea. As I say, IFAB claimed to have been informed by uh, an expert concussion group and as I say, that. There are no experts in concussion, as far as I can see, on that group, or very few. So, and the explanation for why IFAB have gone down this route is, is baffling to anybody. There hasn't really been an adequate explanation. Um, it, it's football doing something completely different to every other sport um, and, and unacceptable. Yeah, I was going to ask you that, actually. Yeah. Where does it work? Well, in which sports do you feel it does work effectively? Well, you just have to look at uh, last weekend in rugby uh, in the uh, Six Nations uh, in the Royals Ireland game. There were several players pulled off to be assessed for concussion, and we never saw many of them again because the, the time the players got off and got assessed, the, the doctors realised with time that there was a problem there. Now, there's a problem in rugby in terms of the number of concussions and head injuries. That's, that's, a, that's another issue. But, but in terms of recognising them when they occur, you know, rugby is considerably further advanced, and I have no idea why football didn't take the experience from other sports and decided instead to go down this line, which, which, as I say, just doesn't make any sense at all, unless what football is telling us is that, that the extra sub on the bench is because there's a problem in football that doctors are deliberately leaving players on because tactically there isn't a player to replace them with. So, And that's a very serious issue. If that, I mean, that, that, that seems to be what football has been responding to, not that the doctors don't have enough time to assess the player, that... The, the doctors have assessed them, have recognised they have concussion, but haven't replaced them because they, they feel there isn't sufficient substitute. That's a very serious problem. And I think footballers who may have issues with concussion management in the last four or five years, reading how I have played this, have very serious issues. And I wonder how, what you feel about the, the coverage of it, Willie, because 
to be honest, the game was so boring, I didn't even notice. And it was done at half-time. I didn't notice it had happened. And then when I was, you know, just listening to this, you know, to sports news this morning, hearing, oh, the first ever con- concussion substitute, my immediate reaction was, oh, that's a good thing. And so, I, you know, I sort of feel there is a danger that actually what's happened has been lost. And a lot of people think this is progress. Yeah, I, I don't know whether it's, um, you know the sport I have. I don't know. I don't know where it comes from. That they, they perhaps they, they realise the very state. Perhaps it's gaslighting. That they're trying to present this as a, a marvellous development and, and detract from the, the fact that there's no development here at all. In fact, you know, if anything, it's, it's a step backwards in terms of, of football's management. I don't know. I mean, it seems. I, I don't think it's anything to be to be proud of. Currently, the, the management of, uh, of concussion football. I think it's, it's something to be ashamed of. Um, but but you know, that's not the way it goes. This is, look, this is a trial, and uh, they're not the most malleable of organisations, but they do occasionally tweak their rules and change things, and, and let's just hope that if you and other experts in this field make your point, um, that they could maybe go down the road that you're uh, suggesting. Yeah, but, but I mean, it begs the question, why did they bother with a trial of this? I mean, if, if, if they want to... I mean, you know, as I say, this is no different to current management. You know, the, if a player suspects of concussion under current assessments, they're removed from play anyway. Um all we've done is put another substitute on the bench which doesn't respond to, to the issue. So if they're really meaningfully trying to produce some sort of trial which addressed the issue of dementia in football, either if it's a round head injury, they put a temporary substitute on so they can assess them properly, or if they really want to try something that might reduce the risk of, of, uh, of dementia in the future, why not, why not trial football without heading? And, 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 I mean, it's probably important to point out within this, you know, why it matters, right? Why does it matter that he wasn't taken off yeah. straight away? Well, so the, 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 when we talk about concussion, what we're talking about is a brain injury. So so the player has had, a, has had a, an injury to the brain, potentially. Now, if they're not managed immediately, if they're not removed from play immediately, the risks of further more significant injury are considerably higher, uh, and also the risks of prolonged recovery are considerably higher. And then if you go down the line, decades later, the risks of dementia may be higher too. And we know in football, from the work that we've done, the risk of degenerative brain disease is three and a half times higher than it should be. So so it's really important these are managed well. And every other sport has got to grips with this. Interesting stuff. Thanks for joining us. Thanks very much indeed. Cheers, Mel. Pleasure. Dr. Willie Stewart there, neuropathologist on uh, the introduction of concussion subs. It's worth pointing out, he is leading this yes, research. Yes, he is. You know, this, you know, if yeah. you want to have a voice that is, makes sense on this. I just, I don't get how you wouldn't speak to him and other people like him well, and, and headway. Well. People that, that say, OK, we want to do this. We want to do the very best thing we can. Um, so what should we be? What should the protocols be? How should we do it? I just well, something under the FIFA IFAB umbrella not working as you'd expect <laughs> is not necessarily a surprise, yeah. is it? But it, you're absolutely right. It's baffling. It, wouldn't it be? The, I mean, if you're looking to put a panel of experts together, yeah. he would probably be uh, your and, first call. And also, we constantly say this. You know, footballers are human beings as well. When yeah. we talk about all sorts of things, we talk about social media abuse, or you talk about you know, you know, people having lives beyond this. We've seen with like Jurgen Klopp's mum has passed away. It's incredibly sad, and then yeah. we sort of forget this when we get caught up in the moment footballers are human beings mm. right if they get concussed they need to be dealt with in the same way that if you're concussed if you fall and hit your head on the street of course you know and and so yes it is it is it's not surprising and that actually makes it more infuriating than it would be anyway absolutely the hawksby and jacobs daily podcast from talk sport Talksport brings you Everton Spurs this evening. Quarter past eight kickoff. It's the first time the two teams have met in the FA Cup since uh, 94-95 season. Uh, we're going to take you back to that semi-final now. Um, cue John Motson. But what about- 
It's right out clean through against Walker. Good save by Walker Stewart. It's 2-0 now. It's Graham Stewart. Yeah, Graham Stewart scored one, made one, I think, uh, that day. And uh, he joins us now. Hi, Graham. Hi, Paul. How are you, mate? Yeah, because it's been a while. Lovely to talk to you again. Even How though I'm you? a Tottenham fan, this is painful for me. As it is for Max. <laughs> well, I'll make it as painful yeah. as I can. <laughs> it was. Um, it was a. It was an a, a credible game because I, everybody was talking. I know Joe Royal alluded to it at the time. Everybody wanted this Tottenham Manchester United dream final, and he said after, "Sorry to ruin your dream final, everybody." And I spoke to one of the Spurs players about two months after the game, and he admitted that they got a bit overconfident. They thought they'd won the quarterfinal at uh, Anfield, which was another great game, and Klinsman scored in the dying seconds, and they yeah. thought they'd got the job done. And um, I think you, you know, you, you had other plans, obviously, at Everton. Oh, very much so, yeah. I mean, we knew it was a fantastic opportunity for us to get to a cup final. And, you know, given the fact that we'd struggled again in the in the, in the the Premier League itself and only really just got ourselves safe, what we'd done is really come into that on the, on the, on the back of some really good form to make ourselves safe. So the cup was a, a, a nice distraction for us and we were just riding along the crest of a wave and we arrived at Ellen Road and full of confidence and didn't really care too much about what everybody else was thinking because we were full of confidence ourselves. Uh, there's a brilliant uh, story in, uh, in the Times that Alison Rudd's interviewed Daniel Amakachi, who came off the bench and basically, um, he basically told your attack attack coach, Jimmy Gabriel, that Joe Royal had said it was his time to come on. But it, Joe Royal hadn't said that. I, I, mean, I presume you had no idea because you're playing, but it's a brilliant story. Oh, it's a great story, Max. I mean, I mean, I, I think he must have been on appearance bonus or something <laughs> like that. But, but it's I know Paul, Paul Rideout had gone down injured over the far side, and and you know me and Paul Rideout were a decent partnership, and I think Joe wanted to do his level best to give Paul time to recover. Um, but without him, without his knowledge, obviously Ammo was into Jimmy Gabriel, get me on, get me on, and then. Next minute, he was rolling on the pitch. And as Joe Royal famously says, you know, score two, miss three, and the rest is history. But he, he was a character, Daniel Amakachi. I mean, he was a, he just wanted to play football. He was hungry. He loved being at Everton Football Club. You know, he was, a, he, he was an off-the-cuff footballer. You know, one, just one day it'd go for him, the next day it wouldn't. And fortunately for us, that semi-final, his, his little magical 25-minute spell worked wonders for us. Yeah, Joe Royal says, doesn't he, at the end, he said he said in the dressing room, well done, son, never try that bleep again. <laughs> well, Joe, that's why I was talking to somebody this morning and I said the same thing to them. And, you know, he, he, he was brilliant, Joe, a brilliant man-manager, very, uh, very witty, but everybody knew where they stood with him. You know, you didn't cross the line with Joe. Mm. And so that was just a... That was a little slap across the face to Ammo, just to say, well done, son, we'll take it. But another given day, I'm the boss and, you know, you're not getting away with that again sort of thing. But uh, he, he didn't want to let that get in the way of the euphoria of getting into an FA Cup final. The other strange thing that day, Graham, was that they put all of us Tottenham fans into one stand, the big, deep, yeah. tall stands, and they put the Evertonians in all other three stands. And we, as soon as we got there, we just thought, we feel miles away from it, you know. And the, and it felt like an Everton home game because yeah. they were... And the other thing was, they put the police horses, they, they housed the police horses under that stand. So whenever I think of that game, I think of horse manure, partly because of the way Tottenham <laughs> played. But that's all I can smell in my nostrils because that's all we could smell in that. But it did feel like an Everton home game they were right on top of you the fans weren't they yeah it's very true and I think that was a significant thing on the day because from the minute we arrived at Ellen Road I mean our fans are crazy at the best of times but 
you know, they, they had a right good day of it and got there early. So all we saw was Everton fans as soon as we turned the corner and arrived at, at Ellen Road. And then when we ran out on the pitch for the warm-up and realised that we had three quarters of the ground, as you say, it felt like a home game and it just felt really comfortable for us. So I don't think uh, the FA did Tottenham too many favours that day, but... Uh, you know, the job had to be done on the pitch. And as I say, we did it very, very well. And obviously, no one expected you to win in the semi. No one expected you to win the final either, did they, Graham? No, not at all. I mean, Manchester United in the final, beating them's, a, you know, the icing on the cake for us, really. But again, another game where we weren't the ones under pressure. Man United were a fantastic side. And we knew we'd have to be at the top of our game to get something out of it. And you know, we 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 did that. We followed the game through. It wasn't an it was an ugly game. It wasn't it wasn't a great classic FA Cup mm. final of the past years. But at the end of the day, you know, we weren't going to play a big open game of football and allow them to get a foothold in the game. So, you know, we we did we did a job on them, and we 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 played pretty well on the day. And when they had their moments, as obviously a Man United side is going to have over ninety minutes. Neville Southall was fantastic in goal for us. The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast from Talk Sport. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast from TalkSport. Just a quickie, you've been telling us about uh, layering up for sport in these cold conditions. Mm -hmm. Minus seven uh, at Leicester tonight, apparently they're expecting. And uh, Mick from Durham tells us Ray East, who played cricket for Essex, of course, for many years, uh, was a bit of a joke. He certainly was. And one bitterly cold day at Chelmsford took the field wearing an overcoat. Oh, I don't blame <laughs> him. Look good. He's very sensible to me. <laughs> well, look, he's taking Is guard white, with an white, overcoat. A white overcoat? I, no, no. Who, who owns a white overcoat? <laughs> well, I, mean, in Essex. I bet Simon Jordan's in got Essex, one. It's quite, yeah, he probably, <laughs> he probably has. Doesn't he? Yeah, he probably has. Anyway, um, emergency goalkeepers. We do see them. Nothing in, better. 
better yeah. than an outfield player in goal, is we it? We do see them. And normally, it's, it's like you'll play, you might play 15, 20 minutes. You don't often play 75 minutes, do you, in goal? But the Notts County skipper, Michael Doyle, Cobb legend, did last night. 75 minutes in goal. Uh, and he joins us now. Michael, good afternoon. How's it going, lads? Is it okay? Yeah, yeah. good, thank you. Are you are you the other bloke in training that likes to go in goal? Are you someone who likes being a goalkeeper or did you just step up as skipper? I gotta be honest with you, I I'm not really one for jumping in goal. I'm messing about. I'm a bit old for that now, you know. So <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so I'll leave that to the other lads, but yeah, unfortunately, last night the manager asked me to, to go in and uh, you, you can't say no to the manager, can you? Did you know before the game that this was, you know, this would, this could possibly happen? Well, there was no, there was no backup keeper, sure. was there? Obviously, that's why, that's why you had to go yeah. in. Well, basically, I knew in the summer that there was a chance when, when the manager had asked us because he likes to go with, you know, no keeper on the benches. We're only allowed five subs in the National League. So he asked a few of the lads and I said, I'd do it, you know, uh, a few of the other lads did, but I didn't expect to get the call and didn't even realise when the keeper got sent off. It was only just thought, oh no, we, we've no keeper on the bench. What are we going to do? And uh, one of the lads came down and said, oh, the gaffer said you're to win. And I was thinking, oh my God. <laughs> and, <laughs> I'm and, bloody tiny. That was my first time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it was, there was a penalty at that moment, is that right? Yeah, straight away penalty. So it was straight into the force of it, you know. And uh, the penalty, you, you you did a Bruce Grobbler, you went jelly legs on, on the penalty taker and it seemed to have done the trick. I mean, wh- when he saw you in goal, what, what was his mindset when he thought they've got, you know, the midfielder and the captain in goal? Oh, well, to be honest with you, I, I took my time. I took about a good five, six minutes to get the kit on and walk down. And when I came down to he standing there with the ball in the spot, so I just walked around the back of the goal and me bottle of water in my hand whatever that was for and a towel you know rubbing the gloves and uh, I was just taking my time having a bit of laugh I started banging my studs off the post just just thinking what all these keepers do start banging the studs off the post and uh, he was ready to go and I walked out and said the ref that's not on the spot and just just delaying it as long as possible to be honest with you and uh I, I, you know, I, I just the, the goalkeeping coach. I asked him when I, as I was going in, where will I go for the penalty? What's your advice? And he just told me to go right. So I dived right, and the ball went right and hit the post. So it, it walked, you know. But <laughs> <laughs> you think you got into his head? Then do you think it did get well, into I, his head? I, I, only, only he knows that. But I say I know what it's like taking a penalty. It's, it's not a nice experience to be honest. At any time, uh, and probably a lot more pressure when there's you know a player gone and goal, but. I remember when I was going in goal and one of their players, their player was taking the penalty and uh, he was shouting over, I bet you he can't even touch the crossbar the size of like... <laughs> <laughs> I was. I read somewhere that you were you were slightly worried that the gloves might be a bit too big for you. You don't want the end of the fingers flapping away, do you? Well, yeah, that, that, that's true. It was when I, I got changed and uh, Sam, the keeper who got sent off, he, he's, he's quite, his gloves were massive, but I knew the sub-keeper was a bit smaller and... Uh, Luke, so I asked the coaches to go in and get me Luke's gloves, which were in the dressing room, which delayed a bit more time as well. So, uh, yeah, they they fitted me perfect. So that was, uh, you know, came in handy. Were they having pot shots at you, Michael? Were they they sort of pinging them from 30 yards or not? Yeah, well, not as many as I I thought, to be honest with you. I mean, we were training up at half-time and I... I went into the toilet and I was thinking to myself, I sort of saying a little prayer. I was like, please, just, please just win this game. Don't be... Don't be at fault here. Like I knew those chances they were shooting, whatever it was gonna be, 
it could be, I was thinking this could be four or five three here with mm-hmm. me and goal. This could go either way. So it was a, it was an heavy experience because they scored in the 90 odd minute and I was thinking, oh my God, oh my God, these could still win this here in the zone three minutes. <laughs> time. Did you make, did you make any worldies? Did you any saves for the cameras? Uh, bloody hell, no. I was just trying to do as well as I could. I, yeah, I'm, you know what I mean? I'm not any good in goal, so I wasn't going to start taking the mick, like, you know what I mean? And was it, was I it? nearly scored an own goal. I nearly scored an own oh, goal. Oh, really? Oh, no. <laughs> it's harder, isn't it? In goal, you know, see, you, you know, you're playing in midfield, right? Your touch is pretty good. But as soon as, when you're back there and the ball comes back to you, it, it's slightly more nerve-wracking, isn't it? But to be honest with you, last night, that was probably the strongest part. Was, like, the lads played back to me quite a lot and, it was uh, I was able to play out and played quite a few passes. Like that was probably the most relaxing bit. It was yeah. when crosses and shots were coming in, as I say. But lucky enough, I had a bit of a GAA background and um, I played a lot of Gaelic when I was younger. So I, I, I didn't want to say to the lads at half time, "Oh, it'll be okay." I played Gaelic, but I was thinking in my head that that would give me, you know, I'm not bad at catching the ball and things like that, and I still mess about doing it. So. It came in handy, but I didn't want to start giving it a half time to the lads. Ah, yeah, don't worry, I'll be able to play it gaily. You know, um, it wasn't warm yesterday, Michael, and you know you can't run around quite as much in goal. Did you get? Cause I was thinking it must be cold and boring if your team's three nil up. You know, or were you just too stressed about it to think about that? I'll be totally honest with you, lads. I'm, I'm on my way now to see physio or you because of my quad. Right, all the goal kicks I've had to oh, take. Yeah, my quad yeah. is tightened up, and then. At one stage, I ran out and kicked one with my right foot out of play and uh, my hamstring's tight as well. Because obviously standing around the cold, you know. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be getting a call from the GAA again, won't you, as well, if they watched last nah, night? Not at all. They're, they're too good, them boys, to be honest with you. Is, uh, they're unbelievable now. It'd be nowhere near near their level. But having done it once, it, it, you know, you're going to be the go-to keeper now, aren't you, I would imagine? Well, I don't know if the gaffer will chance this again, <laughs> to be honest <laughs> with you. I think... Uh, we got we got lucky last night. We probably met a team that are struggling a little bit for confidence as well. So mm. it probably you know it probably couldn't have happened at the minute against you know what I mean. When it was just a team that's been struggling a bit for results as well. So if I'm being honest, we got very lucky. But I've got to be totally honest. The reason why I'm probably having a conversation with you with yourselves is because. The ten lads that played in front of me, they're absolutely brilliant. Oh, vastly, take the glory, Ma- take the glory, nah, Michael. Come nah, on. Not at all. <laughs> to be fair, the lads, they were absolutely brilliant, and it, that's the reason why it went so well. Because these things can can go uh, horribly wrong as a lot of the time when it, when you go in, you know. Good stuff. Well, look, well done. Um, and uh, are they calling you Manuel Neuer and uh, Monk, weren't they, from the Meme Machine? Yeah, so yeah, you got a few were, nicknames. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was it. Yeah, I got a few. Uh, Few, few nicknames and things like that. So it was a good laugh as well out before the lads and we won. So it was, uh, as you say, a bit of team spirit and that. Brilliant. Good to talk to you, Michael. All Cheers, the best. Cheers, lads. All the best. Thank you. There we are, Michael Doyle, uh, midfielder, come goalkeeper. Too, hum- too humble Not there, wasn't it? Take the glory. Yeah. Not me, it's the other lads. But no, well done to him. 75 Absolutely. minutes in goal. And you don't think about, you know, you know, hoying like 15 goal kicks. Yeah. That might must do your quad a bit. He's not used, he's used to just sort of pinging yeah, it exactly. about. He can't like, just play he? nice at 10 yards. Exactly. His age. The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast from Talk Sport. There we are. That was this afternoon's show. Tomorrow, um, Andy will be joining us at 3.30. So I'm already feeling the pressure. Really? Yeah. 
But so, I've got to concert, I've got to have fun and not take it too seriously. Yeah, you've got to get your. That's how I you'll get your first. Take life if you too relax, seriously. You'll get your first like, win. What, maybe I just need a birthday to go in off my backside. That's I? exactly it. So we'll do that amongst other things tomorrow. If you can listen, great. If you can't, the podcast will be available at around five o'clock. You've been listening to the Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast. Hear the guys every weekday between one and four p.m. on Talksport. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 